Hi everyone and welcome to the From the Hack podcast for week 15 of the 2018-2019 curling season. This week our guests include Bruce Mowat, fresh off his team's win at the European Championships. We chat with Morgan Muse, who led her team from the Calgary Curling Club to the Travelers Curling Championship in Miramichi, New Brunswick last week. And with the Canada Cup coming next week, we go back into the From the Hack vault for a full-length interview that Kevin Cooey did with Cheryl Bernard prior to last season. Lots of interesting takes in that interview, especially now that we know that Cooey would win the trials, fail to podium at the Olympics, and revamp his lineup in the offseason. All that and more this week, but first... Canadian musician and non-curler extraordinaire Jimmy Reed plays us into the podcast. So before we get started, if you've ever wondered how they get those nice graphics into the ice at Grand Slams at the World Championships and at Nationals in Canada and the U.S., well, the answer is provided by Jedi's, whose in-ice graphics from easy and textile logos to the world-famous Jedi's Full House product are great ways for clubs to enhance the appearance of their ice and to generate much-needed additional sponsorship revenues. Easy and textile logos are the industry standard for high-quality logos and they're a snap to install. Meanwhile, Jedi's customizable Full Houses are a relatively new way for clubs to grow sponsorship revenues by offering maximum brand recognition to those sponsors. No one can match Jedi's design services, quick turnaround times, and product quality, which is why Jedi's products are valued by major organizations such as Curling Canada, the World Curling Federation, USA Curling, and Sportsnet, who trust Jedi's to provide the products they require for their high-profile events. Jedi's. They bring ice to life. Arnold Asham's passion for curling, along with his natural propensity to explore new ways to better the game, led him to a whole new world of product design. As a result, all Asham Curling Supplies products are designed with the curler in mind. Asham's patented ultralight RDS technology makes it possible to change and customize their slider with any combination of sliding discs. With equal resistance on all sides, the circular design that guarantees a straight slide. These circles have also been designed larger and with stabilizing bars from the outer unit sole to produce the most stable straight sliding shoe the world has ever seen. Go to www.asham.com for brooms, apparel, and revolutionary designed footwear. And if you're considering buying new curling shoes, you must consider the rotator sole. It's the sole of the future. From the Hacks recap of week 15 of the 2018-2019 curling season is powered by The Curling Zone, your premier source for curling results from around the world. Visit us at www.curlingzone.com. Every week seems to be a busy one this time of year in the sport of curling, and last week was no exception. Let's start over in Tallinn, Estonia, where many of Europe's top men's and women's teams represented their countries in the European Championships. In the women's A division, Team Hasselberg of Sweden continued their dominance this season, adding a first European title to their Olympic gold medal and two Grand Slam titles in the past 12 months. Sweden defeated Team Tirinzoni of Switzerland 5-4 in the final. In the third place game, it was Team Jench of Germany defeating Team Kovaleva of Russia 7-4. Sweden, Switzerland, Germany, Russia, Scotland, Denmark and Latvia have all qualified for the Women's World Championship. In the Men's European Championship, Scotland's Team Moet defeated the four-time defending champions Team Adin of Sweden 9-5 in the final, while Team Redernaz of Italy defeated Team Muscatowicz 8-6 in the third place game. Scotland, Sweden, Italy, Germany, Norway, Switzerland and Russia have all qualified for the 2019 Men's World Championship. Bruce Mowat of Scotland joined from the hack to discuss his team's big win at the Europeans in Estonia. Bruce, it's been a little over 48 hours now. Has it sunk in yet that you are a European champion, especially having defeated the four-time defending champions in the final? Uh, yeah, it's actually starting to sink in. I guess um, 
we've had a few kind of media requests, which is really nice, and you don't get a lot of that in Scotland, so it's, it's definitely uh, starting to feel real. Um, it, it was a great game that we played, and I'm just glad that we played such a great team in a final and kind of prove ourselves the most. Now, you almost beat Sweden in the round, Robin. In fact, you probably should have beaten them, uh, giving up three points in the 10th end to lose the game. Losses like that can be a negative for a team at an event like the Europeans, but some teams always find the positive even after a difficult loss. How did your team process that loss to Sweden in the round, Robin? Well, I understand that it obviously has negative uh, impact, but the positive impact for us is that we were able to take Nicholas. We were two up playing a 10th end, which is a great thing for us. Like, we're knowing that we can be in that situation. Obviously, the last end didn't go great in the round, Robin, and we ended up losing that three, but uh, kind of knowing that you've really played a good game and you're able to kind of control the game uh, up to that point has given us a lot of confidence uh, going into that final game against them. How key was it to get that steal in the first end of the final, especially against such a good front-running team as Team Adin of Sweden? Did it help settle any nerves you may have had going into the game? Yeah, it was it was uh, pretty key, I would think. Um, it was a great end from us, and uh, they even made some great runbacks to probably make their job a bit easier, only losing that steal of one. Um, so it was a good end to start off with, and yeah, it did settle some nerves that we may have had, but the ice was great all-championship, and just knew exactly how we needed to throw it for that for that ice. Your team was up 6-5 without the hammer in the 10th end of the final and stole three points to secure the 9-5 win. For those that did not get to watch the final live or online, how did the last end play out? So we put up the centre guard to start with, with Hammy, and then uh, came round it with our second one. They had put the corner up um, with Christopher's first, and uh, I think they then froze us with their uh, second one, but we knew that Obviously, in the round robins we'd mentioned before that we'd lost a three. We, when we played that end, what we did was we chased them around the corner, and we ended up making quite a few mistakes. So we realised that we weren't going to be doing that, and we wanted to kind of get the play into the middle, and that's what happened. And uh, we actually, I think I can't remember who we got the mistake from in their team, but um, they halved off a guard, which led to us being able to lie four, and then they were always kind of chasing, and then. I can't remember who played the really good shot to hit and roll uh, behind their corner, and it gave me quite a hard hack weight shot. Um, but we managed to get that off, and then Nicholas had to make a really kind of tough freeze, which he struggled to make. And we were lying three before my last one, and I'll, all I had to play was a guard, really. And it made him play a really tough uh, double tap. So although it was a steal of three, it never really looked like we were definitely going to force. Uh, they had chances to get the, behind their corner, but luckily enough, we managed to put the stones in such a, a hard place for them that uh, it caused them some issues. And yeah, we managed to get that steal, which was, it was a great feeling. Your team has been on quite the upward trajectory over the past season and a half, winning a slam and now the Europeans, while climbing to number four in the world rankings. How have you personally experienced such a quick rise to the top of the men's game? Yeah, so uh, those two victories that we had in Oakville, they were uh, pretty big for us. It kind of let us understand what kind of potential we had for going forward. And then the kind of the first half of last season was pretty insane for us. Uh, and it was just because of the Europeans and the US trials that we actually got the invite to the Boost National. And that's the one that we won. Kind of just gave us so much confidence going into the later half of our season where we had our Scottish Nationals and then we had the World. It was such a great... Uh, experience for us being not only at the World Championship, but it was in Vegas as well, and it was just 
interesting place. Uh, yeah, that it gave us a lot of drive to kind of succeed this season as well. And maybe we haven't started off this season as well as we hoped, but we're really starting to get some great performances in. Really quite special to us that uh, we're the first team in 10 years to win uh, the European Championships Scotland. And finally, Bruce, what are you going to do with that big chunk of Gruyere cheese you received after winning the Europeans? <laughs> uh, well, I'm actually, it's funny, I, my friends, they, well, a lot of them live outside of Edinburgh where I live, so um, I don't get to see them that much. They're all coming back for Christmas, uh, and I think I'm just going to have a massive party and have a bit of fondue. Uh, with the cheese and then I'm maybe going to have some like chocolate fondue as well and then it'll just be a nice kind of welcome home for everyone. We'll get to the Travelers Curling Club Championships in a few moments but let's start by recapping some World Curling Tour events from the weekend. On the women's side, Sylvie Robichaud of New Brunswick defeated Suzanne Burt of PEI 9-2 in the final of the Tim Hortons Spitfire Arms Classic in Windsor, Nova Scotia. In the Sonova Spiel at East St. Paul, Joelle Brown won a Battle of Winnipeg with a 6-4 win over Abby Ackland. And in the Boundary Ford Classic in Lloydminster, Sherry Anderson of Saskatoon defeated Team Liu of China 8-5 in the final. On the men's side, Jean-Sébastien Roy and his team from Saguenay defeated Mike Fournier of Montreal 8-4 in the final of the Challenge Casino de Charlevoix. In the men's version of the Battle of Winnipeg in the Sonova Spiel at East St. Paul, it was Braden Calvert with a 5-4 win over David Bone. It was a solid week for Scottish men's teams. Not only did Tim Mout win the Europeans, but Glenn Muirhead defeated Ross Patterson 5-4 in the final of the Ashley Homestore Classic in Penticton, B.C. There were also a couple of mixed doubles events on the weekend. In Duluth, Minnesota, Vicky Persinger and Chris Plyes defeated Tabitha Peterson and Joe Polo 8-4 to win the Twin Ports Mixed Doubles Classic. Meanwhile, the team of Sherry Greenman and Michael Zuliani defeated hometown favorites in 2014 Canadian Mixed Doubles champions Kim Tuck and Wayne Tuck Jr. by a score of 9-5 to in the final of the Elderton Mixed Doubles Classic. Last but certainly not least on this week's recap is the Travelers Curling Club Championship, which was hosted in Miramichi, New Brunswick. In the men's event, British Columbia won its second Travelers in a row. This time it was the team of Vic Shimizu, Cody Tanaka, Trevor Backen, and Mark Yologawa of the Richmond Curling Club, who defeated Nova Scotia by a score of 8-3 in the final. In the women's event, Alberta's Morgan Muse and her team of Lindsay Allen, Sarah Evans, and Sarah Gardner defeated Nova Scotia 7-3 two years after losing the 2016 Travelers final in Kelowna. Morgan Muse joined from the hack to discuss her team's big win in Miramichi. Uh, Morgan, your team has a bit of a history at the Travelers that we'll get to in a minute. How did it feel when you finally were able to close out the deal in the final against Nova Scotia to win your first Travelers Curling Club Championship? Uh, it felt incredible. You know, um, uh, like you said, we have some experience being at that championship. And uh, just I, I was kind of joking with people saying, like, I've been mentally preparing for this game for two years. But I was seriously mentally preparing for that game for for two years and to go out and uh, to play really well. The team played amazing. Uh, it was, it, it's an incredible feeling to execute like that. Now, I believe that this was your third time at the Travelers as a team, including a loss in the 2016 final in Kelowna. What did you learn in that 2016 final that helped you in Miramichi this year? I would say definitely just how to mentally prepare for it. You know, I definitely felt the pressure in that final game and uh like you know i felt like the time clock was in my head a little bit too in that final back in 2016 and i felt you know i i felt like i really wanted 
to win that game really bad, and I really wanted our name on that banner. So I, I put a lot of pressure on um, myself that game, and I think as a team we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to do do well in that game. So going into Miramichi, I think we just had a completely different approach on how to think about that game and, you know, give ourselves a chance to, to get to the game was the first step and not be thinking about that particular game all week long, you know. Like literally, it, as cliche as it sounds, it was it was one shot, one end at a time, and we never um, lost focus, and we never, you know, started thinking ahead and too much. And I think that was huge for us there in Miramichi. We we really took it one game, one shot at a time. And when we got to the final, I honestly I didn't feel nervous going into the game, which told me I had done the right things to prepare mentally, but. You know, the first uh, yell for a sweep, and I can hear my voice kind of go into a higher pitch than I'm used to. And I was like, oh, well, that's my nerves coming out. You know, I, I realized that, and I just made sure to take extra time with every shot that I threw. So I have a tendency to overkick on everything and, you know, tell the girls I'm going to throw a 10-second takeout, and all of a sudden it's an eight, and you miss the wrong way and stuff like that. So just taking an extra second and knowing that the adrenaline was pumping and it was affecting my leg drive. So, you know, kick with less than you think and you'll hit the mark. <laughs> and now winning an event like the Travelers is never easy, but your team certainly made it look that way. You went 5-1 and one in the round robin and you seem to be in control of most of the way in each of your playoff games. How did you feel to be hitting on all cylinders in such an important event? Going into the event, we knew we were going to have to play well. We we know that the event of the Nationals is very competitive, and we almost didn't make it there. Like, we nearly lost out of the 3-4 game at our provincial uh, event, and we were down by 3 in the 8th end. We had to score 3-8 and eight and steal in the extra to win. And then once we got ourselves into the semifinal, we just – we were comfortable again, you know. We, we knew how to, you know, stay calm, I guess, and not panic and uh, come out full swinging like and the we played great like top to bottom or all all four players were playing amazing like I I there was not a you know we executed our strategy well we know we don't like to have a lot of rocks in play we kind of uh sit back and wait for other teams to miss but we also knew when to apply some pressure and actually force the misses from the other teams so to go into the event and right from the get-go, you know, a couple of them, the first, the first game we won the draw to the button for Hammer, and um, we, or sorry, we had the choice of uh, Hammer or Color in that first game against Manitoba. So uh, going out, you know, starting off the game having Hammer is always uh, comfortable, and then, you, you know, you think, oh, I want to blank this first end and try and score in the second because you want to be scoring in the even ends. You know, we kind of threw that out the window, to be honest. We just, we wanted to score multiples when we had hammer and we wanted to force when we didn't. And that's exactly what we did. Whether it was an even end or an odd end, we knew it was going to put us in a good position um, down the stretch when it came closer to the seventh and eighth end. So it's, uh, it, it was just an amazing feeling and it was, it was really comfortable. Like we were running teams out of rocks in the last end with, in the last three of our playoff games, which was, awesome like we were, we were just on fire like we we played really well and I was really feeling it feeling draw weight and everything and uh you know especially getting into the final and scoring a three in the first end early you know we put pressure on the other team in the first end because we felt that we were going to be the more comfortable ones playing that game and we felt because of our experience in Kelowna 
and having been in that game before, we knew that uh, perhaps the other team would be feeling a little bit more nerves than we were. So we decided to kind of go after them in the first end, and scoring a three in the first end of a, a national final is a, a very, very comforting feeling. And then to steal one in the second, uh, so up four nothing after two, and we know we're a strong hitting team, and we were we were just on the on the mark all game long. So yeah, it was it was awesome. Now, most teams that qualify for the Travelers warm up by playing in some local or regional events. Your team did that too, playing in an event in your home club. It's just that the event in question happened to be the Autumn Gold Classic, where you got to play four teams ranked in the top 40 in the world, including Jennifer Jones. Can you tell me about that experience? And I'm guessing it was good prep for the Travelers. Absolutely. You know, having an opportunity to play against Jennifer Jones isn't something that comes along every day for a club team like ourselves. Um, we don't play in the big events. Um, we had an opportunity and we were asked to play in the event uh, that is at our local club because they were sh- they were short a team. So we were very honored to, that the club uh, considered us and asked us to play in it. And, of course, uh, knowing full well we're going into it being the lowest seed and we're probably going to be playing against Jennifer in the first game. So um, it, it was an awesome experience to play against her. And we... You know, we knew that there's no expectation on us to win that game. All we wanted to do was go out there and play well. And beginning of the season, we haven't been familiar with the five rock rule at all. So we knew that we were over our heads a little bit in that game. And, you know, we just wanted to turn that into a a learning experience. And the Travelers has played under the four rock rule and and Provincials as well. So we're going to have to switch gears back to a four rock rule and that, that for me, kind of compartmentalized the situation a bit, and not knowing that, you know, we've went out and played a, a solid game against uh, a team like Jennifer Jones, and, you know, the scoreboard definitely indicated uh, <laughs> a big discrepancy in the score, but uh, it, on the ice every end, there were lots of great shots made uh, by both teams, so that was a huge confidence booster, and then you know, we played against uh, Robin Silvernagel, our second team or second game of the event, and they, of course, won the Red Deer Classic last weekend. And so they're no, uh, they're no slouches either. So you know, we had a great game against them. I think we went right down to the last rock in the eighth end. Um, our next game after that, we played against Sherry Anderson, and we ended up with the win in that one. So for us, like, we honestly went into that event expecting just to get ice time in, and you know, three games and done and we were, were paying to be there for the experience of playing against those top teams so it was uh it was an awesome experience for us and it was a good confidence booster to know like that we can we can perform at a higher level we as a team have made the choice to play at the club level because we have teammates that have uh, two of the teammates have families at home got busy lives and everything we've made the choice to uh, stick with the club level and not go with the competitive route. We know that we'd have to be putting in a lot more work as a team if we wanted to play at that caliber. So um, it, it was just nice to get out there and know that um, we we could if we chose to, I guess is a good way to say that. <laughs> and finally, Morgan, your home club, the Calgary Curling Club, is known for having good ice. And I know that Curling Canada would have had some good ice for the teams at the Travelers and Miramichi. Did you find it might have been an advantage for you to regularly play in a club where the ice is similar to what you'll get at a national championship, such as the Travelers? Oh, goodness. Uh, the ice in Miramichi was amazing. You know, um, the 
club ice making crew are fantastic and they had brought in uh, Chris Tapley who I've played on some of his ice like years ago and it was just so consistent from the beginning to the end of the week it was nice and clean it never broke down and there was tons of curl and now I'm from Halifax originally I played on some pretty straight club ice in my days back there and I you're right I am blessed with um, playing on some pretty good ice conditions here in Calgary and uh, you know I I actually applauded. I went to Chris after the event was over and just thanked him for the great ice because, you know, we we wouldn't have been able to make all of the shots that we did with the precision we did if the ice wasn't as consistent as it was and it just allowed us to like be it was predictable and we knew what to throw where to throw it and yeah we I think we managed it really well and it it, uh, it helped us make a lot of shots how great the ice was that's for sure. If you're looking to buy some new curling equipment, look no further than Hardline Curling. For those who play with the ice pad, they know it's the best curling brush. Whether it's the U.S. Olympic gold medalist Team Schuster, or women's Olympic gold medalist Sweden's Team Hasselberg, and their countrymen Team Adine, or how about the top Canadian teams, Team Gushu, Kevin Cooey, Brad Jacobs, Team Carruthers, Carrie Anderson, and Chelsea Carey. The list is endless. And Hardline is not just curling brooms. They offer a full range of curling equipment to get you playing your best, including shoes, apparel, and the Pro Slide Delivery Aid designed by Reed Carruthers. Visit their website at www.hardlinecurling.com and see why the top teams in the world choose Hardline for their equipment needs. Before we move on to our final guest of the week, I wanted to remind you that From the Hack is part of the Curling Podcast Network, along with the Two Girls in the Game podcast and the Curling Legends podcast. If you haven't subscribed to those two podcasts yet, you should really check them out. And finally this week, we go back into the From the Hack vault for an interview that 2010 Olympic silver medalist Shel Bernard did with Kevin Cooey prior to last season for her Behind the Hack series. Kevin and his revamped lineup will attempt to win the Canada Cup next week, roughly a year after Cooey and his team of Mark Kennedy, Brent Lang and Ben Hebert won the Olympic trials in Ottawa. It is a rare long-form interview with Cooey, who discussed a number of different topics, including why he doesn't believe that teams should stay together for an extended period of time. Hi everyone, I'm 2010 Olympic silver medalist and TSN curling analyst Cheryl Bernard. On this, the fourth episode of Behind the Hack, my guest is two-time world and three-time Briar champion Kevin Cooey, whose team was the first to qualify for the 2017 Canadian Men's Olympic Curling Trials. Kevin joined me in early August just as his team was starting to prepare for the season. A quick word from our sponsor and then Kevin Cooey. Curler's Corner is located inside the Calgary Curling Club. It is your one-stop curling shop no matter where you are in the world. Celebrating 24 years, Curler's Corner is family-owned and operated and has been providing curlers of all levels from beginners to world champions with the equipment they need to give their best performance on the ice. Whether you're looking for a broom, shoes, a slider, gloves, embroidery, or customized apparel, or simply looking for gifts for your next bond spiel, Curler's Corner has what you need to fill your curling equipment needs. Drop in the Curler's Corner at the Calgary Curling Club, give them a call at 403-270-0220, or visit www.curlerscorner.com. Curler's Corner, your one-stop curling shop. So, Kevin, thanks for joining me today. Um, this is kind of, as I explained to you, to you before, the Behind the Hack series of interviews that I'm doing with some of the elite players in the game, and I think it's kind of fitting with the Olympics coming up so close that i um, trying to discover more how players, I think, develop the mental strength that allows them 
to outperform in high-pressure games. And uh, we've watched you do that many times over the last few years of curling. So uh, one of the big things I want to start with is a bit of a discussion kind of about poker. And maybe because, I, as I just told you, I just got back from Vegas. Um, but I think there's a lot of parallels between poker and curling and a lot of sports. And I know you're a player and you play online and live. And from some of the sources, I know you're actually very good at the game of poker. And I wonder, as I've watched you over the years play curling, uh, if you knowingly or unknowingly have transferred some of the skills that you developed in poker to your curling game. Like I, I think of logic and reading other people and concentration. And probably one of the big things that I look at when I see you play is you are able to kind of look at a shot and understand the risk versus the rewards and be comfortable playing it. So just between poker and curling, do you have any thoughts on kind of the parallels, and do you think that because you've played poker that it's maybe helped your game? Yeah, you know, I think there's quite a few comparisons. I mean, for the record, I definitely wouldn't consider myself very good, but I, I do enjoy playing it. You know, I used to try and play it a, a fair bit, but, you know, it's like any sport, and um, you can't just jump in a game and hope to do well. you got to be able to put the time and the effort and the practice and into it, and, you know, and what I found was if you're not doing that, you're you're probably a losing player, so, you know, I still try and play a bit, but uh, I really enjoy it, but for sure I, I see the, you know, some things translate between the two, I mean, you know, where to start, obviously, in, in both games, you, you always got to know um, the situation you're in, you know, where, where you're in in a, in a game, a curling game, a tournament, um, you know, try try and know your opponents when you're when you're curling against different people. Um, obviously, everyone has strengths, and you know, you I don't know, you'd call them weaknesses these days. Or you know, all the teams are so good, but you know, there's always certain things you uh, you don't want to leave your leave your opponent knowing that you know there's a good chance they'll they'll just beat you with it. So so knowing your opponents for sure, um, patience. You know, you you play poker. You you really got to sit there for 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 a long time and be patient, and, and that can be hard. And you know, the same for curling. Uh, you you can't really go out there and just expect to to blow your blow your opponents away these days. The game is the game is so tough. So you got to kind of bide your time and hopefully get a mistake and and kind of kind of capitalize for sure. Do you think it's, um, like, even one of the things you just said about reading your opponents, do you also use it a bit from game to game to read Mark and Ben and Brent and maybe where they are in a game? Is that, you know, something that you do when you're in the middle of a game? Yeah, for sure. I mean, for your team and the other team, um, you know, you can you can play, you play a lot of the same teams so many times throughout the year or years, and... You know they're they're not always at their best, and you, sometimes you can really tell. Okay, you know this guy, you can tell he's playing with a lot of confidence. Um, you're not going to get a lot of misses out of him, and you know sometimes they're they're just a little off, and you and you can sense that, and maybe you're um, you're willing to to be a little more aggressive, maybe take a, take more of a chance, uh, put some pressure on them in the hopes of getting the miss, and. And you know, vice versa too. You you need to have a good idea how how our team and you know my teammates 
our plane, you know, in a given week. Uh, maybe we're struggling with uh, certain shots or the ice or so, and then maybe you got to alter alter your game plan. Uh, for sure, like it's not just like, okay, we're playing whoever, team A, and you're going to play the same exact same way against them all the time. You always got to be changing it up, and you really got to have a good idea how they're playing any any given game. Yeah, and you know what, I think that's um, key for a lot of probably young teams where they think you, they just go out and play their game all the time, and some of the smartest skips out there understand they have to read the opposition and read their players to know what kind of a game they're going to call. Now, this next question is, I promise, the only question I'm going to ask from your past, and I'm of the opinion that I believe all teams have a shelf life where they've reached their peak potential as that four. doesn't mean that they can't go on and do something with a different combination. So when you decided to disband your old team in 2014, you were kind of walking away from the known, what they could do, to the unknown. So how difficult was that decision, and how did you make it? You know, it, it, it definitely wasn't an easy decision. I mean, our old team had had a lot of success, and we're great friends. I mean, we still are to this day, and we, we won, uh, you know, a couple briars together, world championships. So it was tough, but, um, you know, I'm also of the opinion that teams, there's a shelf life for teams. I mean, you don't see teams having their best success, you know, these days when they've been together six, seven, eight, nine, ten years together. I mean, it just doesn't happen, you know. You know, years maybe two, three, four, five. You know, I, it's obviously different for everyone, but, uh, you know, it's rare that you see, okay, a team has been together eight years, and then all of a sudden they they're awesome. They're winning priors, and they're having their best years. So, so I've always been a believer in that. It's it's just tough. You're you're together so often, and uh, I don't know if you. It's just tough to stay motivated, I guess. So, so yeah, it was a difficult for sure. But uh, you know, I was obviously too. I was looking forward to uh, a new opportunity with uh, a new team and. And uh, obviously, everyone when we put our team together, everyone had had a lot of success on their respective teams, and we were all good friends. So, so that definitely helped for sure. So, and so now on to the new team. When you brought, uh, you know, Mark and and Ben and Brent together as a new team at the end of 2014, what did you, knowing they were on the other sides of the Martin and the Howard rivalry? What did you do that summer, I guess it would have been, because you came together late in 2014 when the end of the season was over. What did you guys do that summer, maybe one or two things specifically to fast track? I know you guys knew each other, but what did you kind of do to get yourself ready to go as as your team instead of Kevin Martins or Glenn Howard? Yeah, you know, it, it was tough to really plan, um, okay, this is what we're going to do on the ice, just because – None of us would play together, you know, and, and it, it's it's just it, it, that's just not the way it works. Okay, we're going to do this. You really need to get out and play some games and and see how it goes. So you know, we focused on just trying. We knew each other. Obviously, we'd played each other a million times, and we were all friends. Obviously, I'd played with Mark for a few years, and and we were all friends, kind of off the ice for sure. So we concentrated more on just. Getting to know each other, um, you know, as individuals, got together out in Ontario uh, at Brent's place and just hung out for a weekend, got some golf in, 
And then, you know, these days with curling, there's a lot of logistics, you know, just trying a new team, trying to firm up some sponsors and, and, and stuff like that. So we really, this first summer was just focusing on kind of the off ice, getting to know each other and, and a little planning for, for on the ice, but we really just wanted to get out there and start playing and get a few events under our belt and kind of see where we went from there. Now, you, as you said, you've played Mark and Brent and Ben, and, and you've curled with Mark for years. So in these past three years that you guys have played together, what has surprised you the most about the three of them, either off-ice or, or in-game qualities that maybe you didn't anticipate when the four of you got together? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know that I was surprised by, by too much. You know, maybe a little impressed by, you know, playing against Brent over the years he always even for a front ender he just certain shots or situations strategy he'd always be one to kind of think think of something out there good or bad and this is one back when we we're playing him that you know glenn or wayne could be talking and then you know brent would come down and say what about this or this and just very uh you know very impressed with um just the recognition of situations strategy you know things like that. Just sometimes you you just you just miss things. You know being backenders down there, and uh, he just really he's really good at at that coming up with the ideas. And, you know he doesn't try and get in there too much, but uh, you know when he does, uh, should probably listen. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. So. <laughs> I and, noticed you know, that with him. I do. I really do. He's more yeah, you he, know call your game. Yeah, he doesn't just get in there to chat about every shot you know no. he, 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 he picks his spots and uh, he's usually got some great points and and you know the other guys um you know everyone has different strengths i mean obviously benny brings a little bit of fire to our team <laughs> um you know <laughs> really? so usually yeah usually it can be good it can be bad but uh, you know it's, it's never uh it's never dull that's for sure there's there's not uh not a lot of middle point for him sometimes. So, um, but uh, you know, some teams need that from from different uh, individuals. And and you know, Mark, uh, it was obviously his first time moving to a back end role. Really, I think since he was in junior. So, you know, I'm I've always been impressed with his work ethic and um, you know just his uh, I don't know if it's a reflection or you know studies or just. You know, he, he takes the time to know, um, to look back on games, uh, you know, know what's working, what he doesn't have to, what he needs to work on to, to keep getting better. I guess it would be his work, work ethic to, you know, keep improving, uh, really being impressed with. Yeah, some pretty key things for those three. Um, now, it's probably safe to say that I, I think probably one of the main reasons, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that this team got together was to chase that 2018 Olympic possibility. And having Mark and Ben, and maybe it's good or bad, I'm not sure, but Mark and Ben both having success at the trials and the Olympic gold medal, do you think, what are the key things I think that they can bring to you guys to maybe get you to that same spot? And do you think it's, it's an advantage to have the fact that they've won a trials and, and an Olympics, or is it a bit of a disadvantage for you and Brent not having all, you know, done it together? 
Yeah, I definitely don't see how it can be a disadvantage uh, for sure. I think where it would really come in is come in to our benefit is if we happen to win the trials. Then, you know, you've got the Olympics, I think, is a different beast, as, as you would obviously know. Um, and I think that's where we could really rely on their, their history from from playing in one and, and the different demands and scheduling and that. And obviously, you know, it, it never hurts to know you have a couple guys that have won those big games at the trials uh, on your team, won that, won that final to get there. That's, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty reassuring that... Uh, you know they've they've played in that game and and they and they've played well so so it's a good feeling obviously it's a different team and um you know we we haven't talked about it a lot you know that way um we've kind of just been working our way to how this team's going to handle it but uh you know you try not to put think so much about the trials cuz it yeah. seems it seems to get built up for the points start earlier and earlier and so, you know, the last year we haven't really thought too much about it, um, especially because we had that spot wrapped up quite a while ago. I, I lose track of, of when we had it, but it seems like a long time ago. So, um, obviously, now they're here and they're coming, and uh, obviously we'll put a little more focus into that this year. Well, I, I think it's interesting just to have two players that have been, two that haven't, and I think the desire is a good balance, the desire to get back and the desire to get there, and, and I think that's a good way and a, and a good team uh, balance for you guys to feed off of. One other thing I think a lot of players, and I, I don't know if this is you, but when they mentally decide when they start a game that it's more about you. So if I make 87 to 90% of my shots, the other guy can't beat me. But I think with you, you don't. I, I don't really get the impression that you think that way. You seem to look specifically for ways to put pressure on your opposition. You look kind of outside of yourself. I'm not sure you even focus on what your level of play should be or what you'd expect, but more how you can expose someone else or your opposition and pressure them into the nest. Is, is this by design or is this just your nature? Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, I, I think it's... It's more my nature, you know, it's kind of, that's the way I've played, approached the game for quite a while, and, you know, it, it seems to be going well, so, you know, I think these days, you know, it, it, those days where, you're, you know, you can play 85 and and win, or, you know, that's not a guarantee anymore, for sure. Um, no. You know, most, most of the, the depth of the teams is so strong that, uh, you know, you got to find ways to to put pressure to give them hard shots. If you're just playing a routine game, I mean, guys are going to shoot 90 against you, and uh, it, it's going to be tough to win. But, you know, if you can, you know, exploit certain situations or just just keep making them have hard shots, you know, typically, I mean, obviously not always teams are teams are rolling and they're, and they're not going to miss. But if you can continually give a guy hard shots, you know, then that, it's really tough to hit that 85 and you know some 85s aren't comparable to other 85s if, if you know what I mean yeah it's just the shots you make here or there the big yeah. shots yeah do you guys for sure. think let's leave Ben out of this question but do you guys think you deal well with losses the three of you Ben I don't think so but the three of yeah. you, do you guys deal well with losing or or do you get something out of it yeah you know uh, that's a tough one <laughs> um <laughs> 
you know, you definitely don't want to be okay with losing. It's a fine line where you say, okay, well, that's just a loss. Let's just move on. You, you definitely want to reflect and kind of, kind of know what you're doing wrong, or you know, did he just miss a shot at a bad time? Because that that's going to happen, right? Or you, was it strategy? Or you continually doing the wrong things that maybe you can fix? Then then you should be looking at things like that. But uh, you know, at the same time, you know, I've always felt that I'm able to get over a loss fairly quickly and and I think that is is a strength as well and that um, you, you know you don't want to reflect on a loss even if it's a bad one say you miss a miss a shot to win and you lose the game as a result uh, you know if you can bounce back and win win your next few or whatever depending how long the event is uh, you know that game becomes old news right so uh, yeah. you're yeah. always going to lose some you're always going to lose, and you're always going to lose some some tough games along the way, especially when you're playing in, in tough fields. That's that's just the way it goes. So your your ability to kind of shrug it off or or bounce back, um, I I think is 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 a huge um, strength if you have it. And you know, I think definitely think some teams are some teams are better at it than others for sure. Um, you know. Uh, Mark and Ben would be the first ones to say with their old team, you know, they, they weren't good at that. And, you know, if they lost one or two, it, it was hard for them to, to bounce back and, and kind of keep it going. They were more of a, a front-running team, if, if, if that makes sense. So uh, versus some teams, you know, can get down and, you know, down on their last life and can find a, another gear or a way to battle and know they're not out of it and come through and win some events. So I definitely think that's a, that's a big strength if you have it. And, and for the most part, I think we're we're fairly good at that, you know, a couple of us better than others for sure. <laughs> well, and, you know, it's funny. I think of all the players I watch you, you probably seem as a skip to be the one that's the least afraid of losing. I, I don't think you play the game not to lose. You play it to win and you don't play tight. So I kind of go back to the poker analogy. Because you're not afraid to lose, you'll always re-raise in an end, even though it might cost you. And do you think you've always been willing to play that way, or is it more because of the confidence you have in these three in front of you? No, I think I've, you know, I've, from what I remember, I, I've always been able to play like that. Like, to me, I don't get a lot of extra enjoyment if I lose a close game versus, you know, getting blown out um yeah because you lose a close game doesn't shouldn't give you really any any extra satisfaction out of it right i mean you you got to go out there to win it and you know sometimes you might have to take a risk early in a game and and it, it might not work out and i guess yeah you can use that uh, similar to poker i mean you could lose out in the very first round of the tournament right and, and you're gone mm -hmm. but uh you know you i think you you need to be willing to do that sometimes. Um, you know, chances don't always come along or vice versa. You could be in trouble and kind of need to bail yourself out. So, yeah, we definitely don't play to, to keep it close. We play to win. And, uh, you know, sometimes, like you say, it, it definitely doesn't go your way and it never always will. But, uh, you know, not getting tight and being able to get out there and knowing you have an opportunity and to, to take it, I think, is a... Uh, is a good thing.
You know, one thing watching you, I think, over the years is uh, we talk about prime intensity, and I, I've probably on air referred to Brad Jacobs plays at a certain level, a 10. You play at, at a 1, and I think that's an external thing that we all see. Uh, you never seem very ruffled with a miss, either yours or any of the guys in front of you. Now, are, is this actually how you're feeling, or are you internalizing it, uh, or have you had to work on being this way? Because I think it's a... It's a huge skill, and the opposition never sees you getting too stressed about much, and, and I think that's to an advantage. Yeah, I, I, I think so, too. I mean, sometimes when you're playing a guy that, uh, you know, if they're getting a little fired up or tossing stuff or banging brooms or busting brooms, you know, usually it's tough for them to, to bounce back from that and play well. I mean, obviously it, it doesn't always happen, but I don't necessarily think that's – to their advantage, I mean, I'd be obviously at the uh, the other end of that where I I don't show too much. I mean, sometimes on the inside, you know, you're always can be definitely frustrated depending on situations in the game. You know, whether I missed a bad shot or we're just playing bad or you know you know we're not getting good yeah. breaks, things like that. But um, yeah, I don't I definitely don't go to my way to to show it. Um, you know, I'll. Maybe the maddest I'll get is is if I miss a shot I think I should have made just just knowing that uh, maybe I threw it bad or just some something that I knew is all all my fault really and but uh, yeah like you say you know I don't you know if I was a teammate uh, you know I wouldn't want to see my skip if I missed a shot kicking rocks in the corner or, you know no. busting brooms or something I I don't think that's that's helpful for, for a good team, for sure. And have you, is this the way you've always been, or have you had to, like, your ability to park a mess seems incredible, and have you had to work on it? Do you mentally work on that kind of stuff? Um, I think it's just kind of come over the years, for sure. Maybe I've just missed too many, right? <laughs> just got used to it, but... Uh, you know, I think it just—I've come to the point where I just realized that um, you know you you got to make the next one, right? And if yeah. if you're all you're thinking about is the one you just missed, you're not going to be in a good frame of mind to to make your next one. And uh, you know, if 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 you can do that and bounce back and make the rest of them, hey, you still got a chance. But if if you're too worried about a a single shot, then you're probably done already. Now, you have a history, I think, of trying shots that I don't think a lot of curlers see. Um, you've, you know, since I've been, what, three years in the booth, I've seen you play some shots that not one of us even saw was there. And if we did, we thought there's no way you're going to play it. So how do you go about deciding, I guess it's the risk versus the reward of a shot? And, and especially when you're pressed for time or under the clock, it's, you know, you've got to make a decision. Are you doing that in your mind ahead of time? And so by the time it comes down to making that decision, on you already kind of know what you're going to do, or can you just do it that quickly? Yeah, there, there's it's definitely a number of situations that will flash through your mind for sure. You know, situation, we need to take a chance. Is it worth it? Uh, who are we playing? What's the end? Maybe it's not the smartest call. You know, maybe a lot of times you're just you're down and and you you need to take a risk or take try a hard shot for extra points. 
there's so many things. You know, another one will be confidence. Um, mm -hmm. If you're if you're playing well and the ice is good and you're and you know you're individually playing well, like at the Briar this year, I really thought I could make pretty much anything. So that's that's a big part. You know, you can if you put the room down and you know you can, you're just gonna put a good throw on it. Uh, you know, that that's a great feeling versus when you're when you're lacking confidence with certain shots maybe you'll you'll shy away from them and, and play a little more conservative. So a lot of a lot of factors definitely flash through your mind in a in a short time frame for sure and you just gotta kinda be on top of the situation and kinda the the big one obviously will be the scoreboard and managing that. Well, yeah, and, you know, we did, we talked about earlier about smart skips are reading their opposition, how they are reading your teammates, but you also have to read yourself and know what you're capable of because it changes from game to game. Yeah, I mean, you got to be honest and know that, you know, maybe this is the, the smartest shot, knowing that you might not make it. I mean, that that's definitely got to got to enter enter your mind if, if you're not feeling confident over a shot and yeah you know but when you're playing another good team and and they're playing well you might got to take your chance there right i mean like like you said you got to be got to be prepared to not to lose and to maybe that's your one chance to win the game right there and then you got to go for it now, you know, there's been lots of occasions for lots of skips, but I've, I've watched with you where you've had to make a run-back double or something like that with your first rock, and then you have to follow it up with a draw to the pin a few minutes later. So what what process do you go through in your mind to help you relax? Or, I mean, I think you're already at a lower level to start with. I don't think the first shot gets you too high, but do you do anything special to, to relax, to get yourself ready to make a delicate shot after just a big hit moment? earlier yeah I, I don't do too much I mean uh, like you say I don't have too many kind of highs or lows out there I try and keep it pretty pretty even keel for sure uh, you know earlier in my career definitely was probably drawing wasn't a huge strength of mine and um, I've gotten to the point now where, where I feel it's pretty good and definitely not afraid to throw any draws but uh, you know sometimes if it's a big draw and you you already sometimes you already know you're okay. I'm gonna have to draw the four foot or whatever this end to win, right? Maybe you'll do some. Uh, just I'll take some. Maybe just a few extra deep breaths, just to kind of calm the calm the heart rate down, especially if it's a big game. And you know the big thing I do on draws is you know try not to overthrow it. Pretty much you you've got some good sweepers and you've got them there for a reason and. You know, to me, there's nothing worse than just uh, seeing a skip with a big shot and it's a draw, and they typically miss it heavy. You'll you'll see, uh, regardless of who it is, it, it gets missed heavy way way more than light. And you know, to me, that's the worst thing you can do. You got to give your guys a chance, and and I think if you do that, you're you're usually going to be pretty successful. Uh, and that's just, I think that's experience, knowing the tendency under pressure, you're going to overthrow it, and to recognize that, that's that's massive yeah. key. So even at, so this year's Briar in St. John, you're playing an away game against obvious hometown favorites with pretty much 95% of the arena cheering them on. Now, how did you guys prepare to play in a game when you knew there would be so much energy in the building and, and that the crowd could have an impact on your team just as far as, 
the noise and the the intensity of the shots that the Gushu team would make? And did you guys have a good discussion about that before you went out there? We we had a discussion about what to expect, even though you know I, I think we all we all for sure knew it. Uh, you know, I played in a Briar final in BC against BC, so I had, a, I had a decent idea where it was similar circumstances. Obviously, this was a, a, another level; just there was more people and and uh, louder out in Newfoundland for sure. But uh, you know, our big thing was you know just kind of know what's going on, and our plan was to hopefully get off to a good start and take the crowd out of it. But that that was was gone pretty early that plan so you know uh it was unfortunate but uh you know you just gotta you just gotta roll with it uh it's it's fun to play in that atmosphere for sure way better than to play in front of nobody and yeah, at the end yeah. at the end of the day you know when you're in the hack and you're you're the one shooting you know you should have your own thought process to try and you know put a good throw on it right and then the crowd shouldn't shouldn't really be affecting you could you, like when you sat down in the hack to throw, could you block out those distractions? Are you able to do your work on that one, and are you able to do it kind of on demand when you're in that situation? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely nothing I don't think you can work on. You just can't replicate that in, in practice uh, to have that number of people or pretend there is. And, and, you know, practice is one thing, but for it to actually be in a real big game like a Briar final, that's that's just nothing you can do. So, you know, it, it comes down to experience. And, you know, the fans there were pretty good. It's not like they were yelling when we were shooting. So that, that wasn't a worry. But, uh, you know, it's just some people, I guess, are, you know, maybe better at it than others, but you got to be able to yeah, block it out internally and all you're really thinking about is, you know, what do I need to do to hit the broom and throw it the way I want to? I think if you um, ask any skip, I think one of the toughest things to do in curling is to take input from your team and then close the door and make the decision on the shot that you're either going to call or you're going to throw. And I think the first year that you guys were together, I didn't think you were as uncomfortable or on the same page. And I think it was because you were new, the four of you. So now it doesn't seem to phase you guys. You guys seem to have a really good process out there. You listen to the input, but then you shut it down and you make a decision. How has that kind of come about? Because the first year it didn't look as easy. Yeah, I mean, with a new team, it's always uh, you're always learning on the go, I guess. Uh, we had new team guys in different positions. Mark, you know, Mark backhanding, so. You're always a little leery to step on any toes, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> for, for everyone, just you got to take some time, I guess, to find your way. And for us, you know, it, it really took us over a year, I think. Uh, it's definitely no no quick, uh, quick learning thing, and that just comes with experience as a team and knowing how you're going to handle each situation and, you know, knowing when to speak up and when not. And, so, you know, sometimes it's not even things you – talk about or plan you just kind of as you've gotten more games under your belt it just kind of comes naturally to a team and that's just kind of the way they function I guess to know how to get the best out of each other. Are there times like you've gone you play through the year on tour events and everything and are there times you go into those events without the focus to win in 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 other words you're focusing on 
I guess, the bigger picture, which is the trials and the Olympics, and you're working on something specific. I mean, you're not not trying to win the event, but maybe the focus is less winning and more on something specific that you're working on. Yeah, for sure. Uh, easier easier said than done. Yeah. Um, but, you know, no, definitely you, you need to take a, whatever a medium-term or a long-term view on, on some things, and maybe that costs you an event one week. Uh, you know, I know we worked on some technical things halfway through the year, some couple changes in mechanics, and, you know, that's not something you want to do midway through a year for sure and no. and um but if if you believe in why you're doing it and stick with it uh typically works and it's hard because usually you'll get to an event and you you might go back to your old old mechanics or old habits and and uh just just because you want to win that game right versus you know we had we had the briar coming up and a couple months, and, and that was our kind of longer-term goal, and uh, we made some changes, and early January, we kind of struggled at one event, but we stuck with it, and, you know, we had a real solid second half of the year last year, and uh, I think that sets us up well for 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 this year, but, uh, yeah, it might be some, definitely some short-term pain, like they say, for, for the long-term gain. What are for you personally when when for you to to play your best in an event do you have any specific things that have to have happened like uh managing your personal work family uh technical like where do you have to be to walk into an event knowing yeah i'm pretty sure i'm playing well this weekend you know i'm pretty fortunate for sure and that i don't have to worry too much about my uh, off-ice family work uh, they're huge uh supporters and I'm never never too stressed about that thing, that end of my life for sure. So so for me, yeah, it's technically to have a good couple of weeks of practice before. Health wise, sometimes you get a sore knee, you know, early in an event, especially when you, you you're just not used to playing that many days. So be in good health, uh, have your mechanics down pat, and then the other one you can't really plan for is to. Just hope you can get there and get a good handle on the ice, um, and that that'll if you kind of if you have a good feeling of draw weight and a good as a skip, no, a good understanding of what you think it'll do. That's that's really where you get your your ultimate confidence from is uh, knowing you're throwing it good and knowing knowing what the ice is going to do. Then then that's really when you when you have your A game, I guess, as as, as you can say. Does this like the you you talk a lot about technical confidence and do you I find it tough and it's even changed since I retired from the game which was three years ago the amount of events and what I used to like is to be able to play an event and then have a weekend off and I could throw and kind of retool my delivery back to basics you guys don't seem to have time to do any of this anymore so do you get enough confidence in throwing between events when you're playing back to back to back? It's definitely not ideal and yeah it's it's tough um especially especially if you're struggling uh, that's yeah that's uh it's kind of the the worst feeling uh if you're if you're not going good and you're struggling and and yeah you have to head off to another event but uh you know that's that's the way it is these days and if you gotta find some extra time 
typically typically you hope you know what you've been missing right if yeah, you're exactly. if you're if you're just missing everything yeah you're probably in some big trouble uh and that's probably hard to fix but hopefully it's just you know a certain spot on the ice or a certain shot here or there that you can you know you know you can go throw 30 times before your next event and try and work out the kinks and and uh give yourself a bit of confidence going into the next event if you have like a technical issue mid event which you know we've all had it where something starts to happen is there a player on the team that knows your release or your delivery well enough to be able to say hey i see this yeah i, I think so uh you know definitely there's there's no point not saying it you know no point shutting up and I mean, you, do, you definitely don't have to agree, right? But it's it's good to have people around to say, you know, have you thought that maybe this is what's happening or something? You you might disagree, or you might agree, you might never have thought about it, and uh, you know maybe it's it's something you can fix, right? Because so, yeah, like you say, if you're if you're mid event and you you still have time to to correct it. I mean, you can you can struggle for a game or two and. You know, all of a sudden you can find it. It's you know, it's like some other games, like silly games like golf, right? It makes no oh. sense sometimes why you're good one day and bad the next. But well, it's not yeah. one day; it's hole to hole sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Uh, is there a player like I know for me it was Carol, and she'd say you're dropping your shoulder all of a sudden. I don't know where that would ever come from, and but she could just say it to me, and I'd instantly go, yeah, okay, I got it. Is there one player on the ice that would? say that to you or knows your delivery that well? I would probably rely on Mark just because he can see it all from the other end. Uh, yeah. he, he sees everything, what's happening. And, uh, you know, he's a pretty technical player himself. He has a good understanding of of the throws and what it looks like when everything's good and maybe something's a little off. And, yeah, he'll definitely definitely mention something. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not afraid to ask, too. You know, I want to know why I missed if, if if I did, you know, was it did I did I throw it good and maybe we just had the wrong ice or misswept it or, or something or, you know, is there an actual problem that maybe maybe needs a little correction, especially if you've done it more than once. So of all kind of the players I, I think I look at on, on tour, you seem to be the one and, and that's probably the most uncomfortable in the limelight and with the media and probably as the center of attention and, and I've personally known you for years and I think that's just the way you are but when you start to play this game you never play it for the attention in the media and that you might the level of scrutiny you get and social media are, are you as uncomfortable as you sometimes look I think being the center of attention or, or the fame that you guys have got as a team and winning worlds, or have you gotten more comfortable with it over the years? Yeah, no, I've definitely gotten more used to it. I mean, you really have no no choice but, but not to, I guess. I mean, when I first started playing a lot, curling wasn't really on TV too much back then um, compared to how it is now, right, with yeah. seven slams and skins games and... Briars, Provincials, Continental Cups, Canada Cups. I mean, that curling is on just about uh, every every weekend, which which is great for the sport and and it's been it's been great for for the teams playing these days. I mean, you you have a lot a lot more exposure to television and hence you know sponsors and 
Um, yeah, it's definitely, you know, I don't, uh, I don't always love being out there in the, in, in the limelight, but, uh, you know, it's fun to play on, uh, playing big games on TV and in front of big crowds and everyone's watching. So, you know, I, I definitely don't have any, any complaints and it's just, it's just something you, you get used to. Over time. What about the, you know, the, I guess the one thing I never enjoyed and I still don't would be the social media, the opinions of others, but I mean, it's, it's nonstop these days. There's so many, uh, people on social media. Is it something that affects you or the team or do you guys able to just shrug it off and let it go? Oh yeah, no, it, it definitely doesn't, uh, doesn't affect me at all. I mean, you know, here it's, it's curling has gone to be a big sport in terms of television viewers and you know it's the, the amount of viewers out there is, is crazy it's one of the top sports that's watched and it's like any other sport right there there's a lot of a lot of fans that uh you know you love and then there's a lot of there's there's people that like you and people that like other teams better <laughs> that's just uh yeah <laughs> that's just the way it is no matter no matter the sport right you got your favorites and you got your People have their people they don't like, or their people they hate, or can't stand, or whatever. And uh, you know, that's I, I definitely don't care. I mean, they they're they're not uh, if they're criticizing you, they're you know they're not typically superstar curlers that could get out there and do it better than you. So you know, you just gotta yeah. you just gotta kind of roll with it, and uh, you know, just I guess just be glad they're actually watching. Yeah, no. Yeah, there's the good with the good comes the bad. Yeah. Um. So now you guys are heading into the the season, well, the off season prior to the trials and the Olympics. And I remember talking to Mark back in the fifteen sixteen season. And he mentioned you guys got together over the summer and you had a list of things you're going to work on. Now, what does this off season look like for you guys? Do you have a list again of stuff that you want to work on? Does it look any different because it's it's the off season prior to the trials in the Olympics. Yeah, you know, this after our first year, it was kind of that was our big learning year, right? None of us had played together. We didn't know what to expect. Um, we just kind of went in with eyes open and kind of saw, basically, let's see how it goes. And you know, we saw how it went. We struggled a bit, and that would have been yeah last summer. We or the summer before. I lose track of my years. Now, but uh, yeah, we came up with some some guidelines or rules for how we're gonna, you know, go about as a team doing certain things, and uh, I thought that that brought us a lot of success going into our second year. Obviously, I mean, we had an outstanding year; we won all all the big events really we played in. So, so this past year was a, a little different in that we. Um, there wasn't a lot of pressure on us till we got to the briar and you know we had a good second half like i said but always in the back of our minds we were kind of ramping up for this coming season so and and the trials so you know we don't have a lot actually summer wise as far as as um getting ready for the year you know most of our getting ready has been done the past couple years you know we we got together as a team a few weeks ago in Edmonton, obviously it's not the easiest for us to get together living all over the place, but we got together as a team up in Edmonton with our coach and, you know, kind of debriefed uh, the past season and 
you know, went over the goods, the bads, and what we need to do to to get better. And it's mostly planning, planning for once the ice comes in. You know, the season yeah. seems to get longer and longer. That uh, we'll just take uh, kind of June and July off and just relax and not really worry about curling. I mean, there's obviously you always have some stuff to to do off the ice just to get ready your your clothing, uniforms. We're lucky to have some great sponsors, so we'll get to go do some great sponsor appearances with them, which are a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, the, the couple months for us are just to really try and definitely not forget about the game, but just get away from it, try and try and recharge the batteries and, and be ready to hit the ice, you know, come August and hopefully gear up for uh, another great season. Well, I think it allows you perspective to you get to step away from it and come back excited because I, I think, the, as you said, the season gets longer and longer, and to get excited to play curling is can get tougher and tougher because it's an every weekend, you know, all year long part of your life. So I do think getting a couple months away probably helps with that perspective and just the excitement of getting back on the ice. Now you talked, sorry, about John Dunn, and, and you guys just sat down with him, and and I don't think there's any way in the short interview that you could probably detail what he's done for your team. But in your opinion, what do you think with him has been the most critical factors that you think he's helped your team with? Because you don't have a coach per se. John is kind of the overall coach for your team and being a sports psychologist. How do you think he's helped your team? He's helped our team a, a ton, especially just given the dynamics of our team. Um, He's helped us kind of, it's, it's, yeah, it's tough to put into words. He definitely is our coach, but like you said, he, if you were sitting with, a, what, sitting with him watching a curling game, he might not have a clue what, what was going on on a certain end for sure. But, uh, you know, he brings a lot of things to our team from the sports psychology side and just the communication side and uh, getting us to, to work together as a team. There, there's certain things that... Uh, we we haven't always been the best at you know I'm not going to go into too much details on that but yeah. uh, sometimes we weren't always our our best friends when it when it came to performance and um, you know he he just he's good at bringing us all together and hashing out everything and just making us realize you know what we need to do to to be successful he's been a great part of our team. Well, and I think you just said it with the communication because it's curling is such a unique. I mean, hockey teams talk about basketball teams. If there's a relationship or somebody's upset you out on the ice or on the court, you can kind of get lost in the rest of the team. But curling is so unique. There's only four players. It's such a small team, and it's critical that you you know you can talk things out. That you're doing all the things out on the ice to get the best out of your teammates and yourself, and that's not always easy to do. And you usually need somebody to facilitate it, and I look at him and think that that is probably one of the biggest things he's done for you guys. Yeah, no, he's he's definitely definitely good at that, and yeah, like you said, I mean, it's a hard enough game, right, when you're just trying to beat the other team <laughs> if you're uh, if you're not getting along as a team yourselves. Uh, not that we really have that problem too often, no. but you know, every team has their spells where you know you can you're together so much and you could be struggling that it's easy to get annoyed with uh with each other here and there and yeah you gotta you gotta find a way to to battle through that and for sure uh that's one of the things he helps us with 
Do you guys debrief, like with John, do you after a game, every game during an event, and and then do you always debrief after an event? Do you guys have kind of a set uh, way you go through? I don't need to know what it is, but do you have a process that you go through after the games and after the events to make sure nothing gets left kind of, you know, not on the table? Yeah, uh, we definitely have a plan for that. I, I wouldn't say we always... Uh, <laughs> we always follow through with that, and you know that's our own fault. Uh, just sometimes we're not always good at that, but uh, that's definitely something we try to do. Is uh, you know go over what went good, what went bad, even even if everything went good. Uh, not that that often happens, but uh, yeah, you want to know what's going on, and you don't want to leave any stone unturned for sure. And uh, you know that's another thing he's really helped uh, bring bring to our team. If you guys had, you know, and this was this was always a difficult one, if there was a strategy question. You now, I remember when our team would get together after a game and uh, maybe there was a call out there that they didn't like and it didn't get discussed a lot during the game. Do you guys, are you able to sit down and is the team able to say, hey, Kevin, what about this call in for Like, why did we play this? Is that an easy conversation? Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be. you you got to be open to, to that. Uh, you know, as a skip, you're obviously calling the game. I, you know, I'll take a fair bit of input on the ice for sure. I've I've always been that way with every team I've been on. I don't have to be calling my own game, and that's the way it is. Uh, I'm fine with with taking some input, but you know, you got to be prepared to yeah, be prepared to be able to have that conversation. Uh, after the game and just say, you know, maybe this was a mistake and maybe it was. And, uh, you know, that's something, if it was, you got to lock that away and try and use it for the next time. You always got to be trying to get better. So final question. Have your team, I guess, talked about, you said earlier in the interview, you hadn't really talked about the trials or the Olympics, and, of course, now everybody talks about it. And it's a once-every-four-year opportunity, and I think a lot of teams get paralyzed. And and they can't separate the need from the want of that once every four year chance. Have you guys had any conversations about that, and will you? You know, we haven't had too much conversation about that. Uh, you know, yeah, like you said, it's a unique event, and that uh, the favorites rarely win there. It's it's a it's a strange phenomenon, I guess. You know, often the favorites are nowhere to be found at the end. Uh, just shows you too, you know, the strength of the field and that whoever's been winning, they've obviously been doing well at the Olympics. But uh, yeah, teams put so much uh, build up into that one event that that they get there, and it's like they don't, they can't shoot or they don't know what to do or I, you know, it's 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 impossible to put into words or impossible to know exactly what happens or else no one would do it, right? But uh, no, exactly. It's yeah, kind of but, uh, yeah, no. I mean. It, it's not just another event, but uh, you need to you need to kind of treat it like that a little bit, and that you know you need to try and start playing well most of the year, and and have some success at at your events before, and and keep it going. I you know it's typically not going to happen that you're not going to you're going to have a bad fall, and then all of a sudden get to the trials and just win every game. I mean you're you're going to have to. You're going to have to play well pretty much all fall and uh, just, just keep it going. And I mean, it's, a, it's such a fine line once, once you get there. It's a, it can come down to a few shots for a whole week, really, and uh, you just got to be prepared for that. And it seems the teams that go into the 
Olympics and the trials, well, the trials for sure have to kind of have, it's not a life or death situation. It seems at that point that it's more the mental ability of the teams to be able to kind of make it feel like it's just another event. We all know it's not, but having the ability to do that, and maybe that's been the work they did prior or the confidence they go into the event with, but having that ability seems to be what will allow maybe a favorite to win. Yeah, I think so, and, you know, nothing beats being able to do that, I think, than playing in big games up to that, be it Briar Finals or World world Finals or things like that. You can't just practice that, and, you know, the old, whatever that old saying is, but, yeah, if, you, if you're playing in a lot of big games against good teams and you you play well in those, I mean, that's, that's typically going to carry over. You're going you're gonna to keep playing well in big games, and... You know, for the most part, I think the past couple of years, once we've got to a big game, you know, towards the end of an event, if we're in the hunt, uh, we've played pretty well. You're not always going to win for sure because you're always, you're going to be playing tough competition. You're going to be playing someone on the ice that you, you know, be it a Jacobs or a Gushu or whoever, right? I mean, you're going to be playing someone good, so things are going to have to go your way, but, uh, Hopefully, you know, the the games you've played and won a few years before will help you this year. That does it for the fourth episode of Behind the Hack. My thanks to Kevin Cooey for joining me and thanks to you for listening. Join me next time when my guests will be Olympic bronze medalist and world champion Eve Muirhead of Scotland. That does it for the From the Hack podcast for week 15 of the 2018-2019 curling season. A big thank you to each of our guests and to all of you for listening. I'm Frank Rock, and this is From the Hack.